I think this election is is about what I what I say is four plus freedom. So the the four key issues are we went from a secure border to no border. Right. We went from safe streets to record crime. We went from two dollar gas to four and five dollar gas, and we went from stable prices to a forty one year high inflation rate, all in twenty one months. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the one of the, one of the things I hear from constituents, I, I remember a little lady in Bluffton, Ohio, um, older lady. She was near an end of a little town hall. She she raised her hand. She goes, I never. She had tears in her eyes. Tears starting to form in her eyes, and she says, I didn't know it could get this bad this quick. And welcome to the narrative. This is Center for Christian Virtue President Aaron Bear with my co-host riding along, David Mahan, our policy director here. Uh, we've got a really incredible episode that's come together in the last uh, 24 hours. We're uh, we're, we're going to be especially with this huge election, David. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, there's going to be an election. This little thing coming up what? in the next few days. What? I know, right? Wake up, man! It's it's there's news happening. Uh, but uh, but we're going to have uh, Congressman Jim Jordan uh, joining us here uh, real shortly for a conversation. Uh, and and there's nobody I think that has done a better job of exposing false narratives uh, and uh, shining the light of truth on them over the last few years than than Congressman Jordan, good friend of of CCV and and everybody who cares about the conservative cause and and the Christian voice in public policy and politics. So we want to uh, bring uh, Congressman Jordan on here to, to chat with you here in just a little bit. Uh, but before we do, we just want to dive into a few of the topics of the day. And one, uh, you know, it's always fun when, you know, there's national news that hit that, that happened right here uh, in our own backyard. Uh, and, uh, and it's now blowing up all over, all over Twitter. I think it's up to over uh, 33,000 uh, views right now because, uh, libs of TikTok and a guy named Billboard Chris uh, exposed. If you guys don't know Billboard Chris, Billboard Chris, David, why don't you tell people who Billboard Chris is? He's a guy. He's a father, and uh, he just goes around the country and he he uh, you know does rallies and things. He just kind of wears like a sandwich board on yeah. his chest, yeah. you know, and just saying random things like you know men can't have babies. What? Uh, yeah, and stuff like that. I mean, just just random things. But Breaking he's blown news up. all over the place yeah, on the narrative he's blown today. Up over the last year or two and. Uh, yeah, he he broke it, and then you know, lives at TikTok, got a hold of it. Yes, there's a a, a video uh, from you've heard us talk about the state school board resolution, resolution, which you know really makes a, a bold statement that uh, boys shouldn't play in girls' sports, and boys shouldn't be in girls' bathrooms, and schools shouldn't keep uh, information away from, about kids from their parents. Uh, you know, these these really hard ideas, hard concepts. Um, and, uh, you know, this resolution has been stalled in the Ohio State School Board for uh, for weeks. Um, and uh, and there was another hearing on this really hard idea, right, that, that uh, boys shouldn't be in girls sports uh, this past week that David, again, spent several hours at. Um, <laughs> and the vice chairwoman of the board um, said something that I, I'm sorry, like I, I'm done playing like, just something incredibly stupid. Uh, on the, uh, Man, uh, how do you really feel about I it? Know, right? That's the, just there's some things like we can. I was just talking to somebody about this at lunch. We can have a like a legitimate conversation, right, about the funding mechanism of the backpack bill, right? That's a that's a hard question. That's something like okay, so wh- how are we going to make sure every kid can access uh, a scholarship, a voucher to attend the school of their choice? That's a hard question that needs real digging into. We should not treat. Can a boy become a girl as a hard question? That's right. We should not treat should boys be in girls sports as a, like it's it's a stupid question, honestly. Um, and and when you indulge it, you're 
you're actually because and you're indulging it one because everybody knows boys are boys girls are girls you're only indulging it because you're afraid and your fear especially as an elected official is hurting kids yeah i mean the the honesty i mean it's really not even as deep as that bro it's 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 you know the school the state school board basically saying the federal government does not have the right to mandate to to you know the state of ohio uh, that we need to change up how we've done Title IX forever, since 1972. Uh, you know, they cannot conflate gender identity with sex and just change the whole game and uh, make sports unsafe and, um, and, and, and unfair for, for women. But, but when all of this went down, you could just tell that it was getting frustrated. Yeah. You know, the last uh, resolution meeting we had, um, you know, they decided to punt the ball downfield. We talked about that. And uh, they, it gets to the executive um, committee. And then, you know, they're supposed to vote it back to the, the full group and they delay again. Yeah. And so it was it was absolutely insane. I was infuriated. And then we get this gift. Yeah. And and and, and here's my point. Why the, all this like so that, that's all the procedural stuff going on in the background. And and some of that can be complicated. But the baseline of this resolution. And what 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 vice chairwoman Manchester says, um, and if, if for the, those Ohioans who are listening, this is the mother of Representative Susan Manchester, who happens to be the same chairwoman that's holding up the SAFE Act Are right now. Are you kidding me? You mean that's her mom? Breaking news. Um, that, that is not allowing the SAFE Act to go, which is stopping this, these gender clinics from sterilizing kids. Um, she makes this comment that we're going to play for you uh, live in the hearing um, that uh, has now blown up all over Twitter because libs of TikTok and, and Billboard Chris tweeted it that just shows how how difficult they're, that, that people are, are thinking of these things, but also is just stupid. And is like I said, comments like this hurt kids because we're making what should be obvious and straightforward like boys are boys and girls and girls. We're trying to muddy the waters, which is what allows for kids to be sterilized. There's no other way around it. Let's play the clip. There are, as Dr. Miranda said, I looked up what is biological sex? What is the definition of that? There are so many definitions out there. I, I was amazed at all the definitions that there are for biological sex. And how, how can we sit here and say, no, there's just one? Um, and that it's scientific fact. I guess that would be the issue I take with that right in the beginning, is that it's not scientific fact. If you look at the science, there are many different things. And, and why? I don't know. But there are. And we need to be honest about that, I think. Let, let, let me be clear. That is a stupid thing to say. And I say that as the president of Center for Christian Virtue. That, And this is, I'll say, as Christians, we should be willing to say that is a stupid thing to say. Because when you say that, kids get sterilized. It, there's, there's no other way around. Like, I'm, I'm done. I'm absolutely done with people who are denied. Because what, what ends up happening when, when people play footsie with these dangerous ideas, it's what feeds these clinics and feeds these, these school counselors and teachers union people that think it's their right and their job to, to separate parents from kids and feed their kids this, groom their kids in this ideology and, and medicalize them and sterilize them for life. And, and so 
like we can laugh at this because it's so because it is so stupid what she said. Oh, there's so many definitions of bi- no. There's not just just because a bunch of people say we disagree doesn't mean it make it true. A bunch of activists, just, a bunch of activist doctors, a bunch of active yeah, activist academics could come out and say the world is flat. And then does that mean well since a bunch of them are saying it, it must be no. We know what a, we've known forever what a boy is and what a girl is. Susan Manche- Susan Manchester or her mother, if they went and walked into a, a a bathroom and there was a naked man there peeing, like they would say, "There's a man in here." Oh well, how, how do they know? How do they know that? Because yeah. you know, if they went and tried to arm wrestle a dude, they would know it's a dude. I, I think one of the biggest stories here is that Ohio may have the first libs of TikTok video of Republicans. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, yeah. You know, you've got you've got the the vice president of the state school board saying this stuff, and you've got the the, the chair of the Safe Act, both Republicans, uh, uh, saying the same thing. Um, I mean, I'm telling you, I, this stuff has put me in the hospital literally already. Uh, the foolishness that I'm hearing, Rick, you have to listen to the whole thing. It's not about kids. They they act like in their they're caring about kids that struggle with gender identity, but they don't. There's no facts. It's what you just heard her say is the depth of science that has been covered uh, in, in that resolution, in those resolution meetings. There's been three of them. Yeah, no, it, it's, it is, again, the, the, the stakes on these issues are, are greater than ever before. And, and to your point, David, like you take a state like Ohio, you take the, the vast majority of states in, uh, in America, their legislatures are controlled by Republicans. Uh, and this is why at CCV we're, we're a nonpartisan organization because we, we, we are frustrated with both parties, right? Uh, like both parties are, are culpable. You, you, have the, you have the Democrats who for the most part are driving this. They're, they're, they're pointing at this stuff and saying that is good. And again, that's, that's outright wrong. But then you have Republicans who have the ability to, to stop it and they're not moving. Yeah. And, and Rand saying that they cared about kids. Right. They, 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 they rode the, the anti-CRT wave. They will, rode the, the parental rights wave. Right. They're going to ride it this, 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 uh, this upcoming election. And, and again, I think it's going to open the doors for a lot of opportunities for us. Um, but I think what the big lesson and takeaway on this one for me and for everyone listening is uh, you got to go vote on November 8th, but you, that, you can't vote and then check out. Right. Um, it's then about holding them accountable. Uh, and and driving these things through the lines because the only people that can stop the sterilization of kids is the general assembly, is and the legislatures all over the, that that can pass the bills like the Safe Act uh, to prohibit it. Uh, the only people that can actually save what's you know we we had that last uh, week's episode with uh, on on learning loss. Um, the only people that can can actually improve the public schools is the general assembly by passing things like the backpack bill. Um, by giving families an option to get out because the system's so broken. Um, the only group powerful enough to move the General Assembly is the, the people of God. Yep. I mean, you have to, it's, again, it's money, it's the multitude, and, uh, and, and it's the biblical worldview, um, you know, the, the moral compass of these people that, that really guide the, the decisions they make down there at the State House family, and you have to have your voices heard at the State House, not just in district. Well, I'm going to go ahead and and uh, and we're going to wrap this up till we get to the conversation with Jim Jordan partially because if we keep going, I don't know what's going to come out of mine and David's mouths. You can hear we're pretty frustrated, <laughs> uh, right? When, when you see something like that, when I see a video like that out of, out of California, it's like, yeah, California. When you hear comments like that out of Ohio, it's like, okay, this is 
this is just ridiculous. Um, and so uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back uh, in just a few moments with you with our, our, our conversation with Congressman Jordan. Christian business owners today face more unique and challenging threats than ever before. As corporate America and chambers of commerce fall prey to woke capitalism, Christians in the marketplace need an advocate to protect their First Amendment freedoms. As Ohio's only Christian Chamber of Commerce, the Christian Business Partnership stands in the gap to advocate for, to educate, and to celebrate Christian business owners. Joining the partnership also allows businesses to provide their employees with health care insurance, workers' compensation, and exclusive banking and educational discounts. To find out more and to join, go to ccv.org cbp. That's ccv.org cbp. And welcome back to The Narrative. This is Center for Christian Virtue President Aaron Baer uh, with my co-host David Mahan. We are uh, with a very special guest here with us today. There's, there's no one, when we, when we came up with this idea of the narrative podcast, thinking through what are the major uh, media narratives, the major uh, really lies that get pushed in our culture today by, uh, in the political space, in the cultural space, and then trying to debunk those things and, and shine light of the truth on them. Uh, there's really nobody that does that better today uh, than Ohio's very own Congressman Jim Jordan, uh, who is with us now, and, and we're blessed to, to have him serving in Ohio. Uh, Congressman Jordan, thanks for all you do, and well, thanks for uh, for serving the, the nation. Those are kind words. I don't know how accurate they are, but it's good to be with <laughs> both of you guys, and we appreciate what uh, what you do, standing up for the values that make our country the uh, the best country ever. So thank you, and it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, you know, the, the reality is we have been sort of pummeled for the last few months mm-hmm. uh, with really— outright lies uh, and spin uh, in, in the press. Um, and, you know, you've been every day kind of pushing back against those things. When uh, I, I kind of start in high level, when, when you see what's going on in the media today, um, you know, how, how are conservatives, how are Christians supposed to respond and, and, and actually find out what the truth is uh, with, with, with what's happening? Well, you're right. Um, the media is basically an arm of the Democrat Party, and the Democrat Party is controlled by the left. A survey two months ago, um, they asked Democrats uh, and, and, you know, what they thought about America. Fifty-five percent of Democrats said they do not think America is the greatest country ever, which is frightening. When you have one of the two major political parties where a majority of that party doesn't believe what we all believe, what we all know, that the United States, while not perfect, uh, America is the greatest nation in history. I was, I was talking with one group, and I said, next to Jesus, the best thing that's ever happened to this world is the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so the— um, that's where they start from. So the, the left's just going to—the the, the left and the media work together. They're just going to tell you things that are not accurate. Uh, I've sort of taken the position that, you know, any headline you see from the corporate media, the mainstream media, just assume it's false because, yeah. you know, nine times out of ten it is. And if it's not false outright, it, it's, it's out of context. So um, that's what they do. And then—but um, the good news is, you know, I say this all the time, that um, even though the left controls everything, you know, left controls big media— big tech, the left controls big corporations, the left controls big sports, the left controls Hollywood, the left controls higher education, the left controls the White House, the left controls the Senate, the left controls the House, the left controls the federal bureaucracy. But the left doesn't control we the people. And we the people have common sense and and figure it out. Uh, So the country knows, yeah, the headlines in the mainstream press, I don't buy it. Uh, I'll I'll get my, uh, you know. Now, people are always busy busy running their family and volunteering at their school and going to church on Sunday and helping with the soccer team in the little league. But in the end, they figure it out. And uh, I think they're fixing to make a big change here in a few days on, on, uh, on November 8th. Yeah. So l- l- I want to talk about some of those sort of major narratives. I, I think that the, 
maybe the biggest one uh, over the last few weeks that, that sort of has proven itself to not be true is something passed called the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah. Um, and can you just talk about what, what that experience was like as that was getting jammed through by, by Biden, by Pelosi, by Schumer? Uh, and and what has been the? I mean, I think everybody is feeling every time you drive by a gas station or you go to the grocery store, you're feeling what yeah. what the Inflation Reduction Act actually done. No, they can call it that, but everyone knows it actually exacerbated the problem. Uh, the reason we have inflation is because they pay people not to work, they spend like crazy, and they drove up the cost of energy. I remember Janet Yellen said several months ago, "This inflation kind of surprised us a little bit." I'm like, "How can it surprise you? You're spending like crazy. You're paying people not to work, and you drove up the cost of energy." Uh, you know, I'm just a country boy, but I can figure that one out. You're going to get inflation. And um, the Inflation Reduction Act only spent more money and didn't do anything to help with the energy situation. So we have more of it. Um, the only, you know, the answer is to go back to the policies we had just a few years ago. But even if Joe Biden wanted to, the left won't let him. They won't let him do the right thing on energy. They won't let him do the right thing on the border. They won't let him do the right thing on, sp- they just won't. They control his party and he's beholden to them. So it's, it's tough, but it's real. There was something that, uh, a friend of mine uh, on Capitol Hill said to me a few, it was about a year ago, uh, when they said, you know, they, they had worked under the Obama administration, they were there, uh, and it'd be interesting your, your thoughts on this. They said, you know, when, when Obama was there, it was really clear who was running the show, right? It was, it was that, that, you know, it was obviously a leftist agenda that was being driven, but it felt like somebody had their hand on the wheel yeah. and was kind of steering the nation. They said, with the, the Biden and, and Harris administration, it feels like some like whoever's driving is not in those two. Like they have right. no no idea. Yeah. They're just kind of getting pushed around. What, what's been your what, what are your thoughts? Well, I think anyone. I think you're exactly right. And anyone with common sense can see that. You know, the, the the individual who's the chief executive of our country is frankly just not up to the job. Yeah. Um, that's as obvious as uh, I mean, it's just obvious. Yeah. It's sad. I feel. I actually feel bad for President Biden. I feel yeah. bad for his family. Um, that that's the situation. But I mostly feel bad for the American people in our country because you need a commander in chief who's who's capable of doing the task, handling the, sure. the the responsibilities of this most important job probably on the planet. So uh, not probably, definitely on the planet. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's it's tough. So my guess is Ron Klain runs the day to day operations. The chief of staff always has, even when you have a chief executive who's who's capable running things. Uh, the chief of staff is hugely important. One of my best friends, Mark Meadows, and I know the kind of hours he worked in the last year of President Trump's administration, Mark Endeavor, Polly, you know, just good, good friends of Polly and I. And um, I spent time with them. We'd stay, in with, we'd stay at their place in yeah. D.C. I remember the, the, the guest room, they had this the phone with all the lights and buzzers it looked like on it. I'd, I'd put a pillow over it at night because I didn't, you know, I didn't know what that thing was about. <laughs> so, um, and I know how busy Mark was working 16, 18 hours. So day-to-day Ron Klain is probably running things, would be my guess. But who's, who's providing the strategic, um, you know, making more of the strategy decisions and not just the day-to-day tactical moves? I don't know. I, I, now, I know in foreign policy, it's the same team they had with Obama. It's Blinken, Jake Sullivan, Wendy Sherman, Bill Burns, Susan Rice, that same team. So foreign policy is probably the same people. Same people gave us Benghazi and Obama administration, give us the, the, the debacle that was the exit from Afghanistan. But if, is there one, is it Obama? Is it, I don't know. Yeah. But it's it's obviously uh, it's obviously not President Biden. Yeah, we we know Congressman. There's uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you. We we thank uh, you. I come from a, a grassroots advocacy space, mm-hmm. um, kind of new to the public policy space, but it's so encouraging 
to see you tackle the media the way you do. Uh, you, you tackle the issues like, like no other, but, but to tackle the media the way you do uh, adds and, and gives inspiration to so many. So I just want to say thank, well, thank you because um, I didn't think Aaron would give me an opportunity to say <laughs> <a> word. <laughs> so the Lord is faithful. Right. Uh, that I, is true. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're also dealing, you know, obviously you go to the gas pump, you see the issues mm -hmm. um, with the prices, you know, 13 to 20% increase on the food we buy. Uh, services that that we go after. However, we also have some issues with the state school board mm. um, and the Biden overreach. Um, yeah. You know, with that and Title Nine and partnering with the you know Department of Ag to threaten mm -hmm. even kids school lunch. And uh, so we've been going round and round and round with that. Yeah. I just you know I'm curious to hear how you feel about that. Well, let me let me back up a second. Uh, I think you're right because you hit a number of things there. Um, I've said now for several weeks. I think this election is is about what I what I say is four plus freedom. So the the four key issues are we went from a secure border to no border. Right. We went from safe streets to record crime. We went from two dollar gas to four and five dollar gas, and we went from stable prices to a forty one year high inflation rate, all in twenty one months. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean the, the, one of the, one of the things I hear from constituents, I I remember a little lady in Bluffton, Ohio, um, older lady. She was near an end of a little town hall. She she raise her hand. She goes, I never, she had tears in her eyes, tears starting to form in her eyes. And she says, I didn't know it could get this bad this quick. And th th so that's really what's driving so much wow. of it. But in addition to doing that to families and communities in our country, they've attacked your liberty, your first amendment rights, your second amendment rights, your due process rights. And, and scariest of all is the weaponization of government to go after their political opposition. And part of that whole scheme is the left's attack on just basic values. This idea that, oh, we think it's okay for guys to compete against girls in sports. Yeah. Dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, it, it just like, and 99% of Americans think that's the dumbest thing we've ever heard. It's almost yeah. as dumb as trying to defund the police, you know, right. just stupid. Yeah. Right. So, um, and it, what's amazing to me too, and this is why your, your organization is so important, because the left always says, why, why are Republicans always in the culture wars? We're not, you no, guys started. That's, that's right, we, I we don't, don't want to do this. this. <laughs> We're not, like, Thank You're you. the ones who said, like, uh, we, we think guys should be able to participate against girls in sports. And we're like, no, no. But when you do something that's stupid, we're going to fight back because right. we actually think it, it's ridiculous. Right. So that, that, that's why, again, it's uh, the left and the media, they, the, everything they say is built on something that's not accurate. And you just got to call them out. Now, I, I've, I've taken the position because the left has become so radical and they now have control of one of the political parties or the two major political parties that you can't work with them. So the only way to, to, to deal with them is you have to defeat them. You have to stop them. And you have to debate them so the country gets, sees the two sides, sees the picture. And then the way you ultimately beat them is on Election Day. And I, and I think that's coming. You know, uh, speaking of uh, you got to debate them, uh, and, and this is just other, like, big narrative things. Um, you know, we, we tried to debate them, or you tried to debate them on this uh, January 6th committee. Mm -hmm. um, and they actually said, no, you can't. Uh, and I, I think this is the first time we've we've actually brought up the whole uh, January 6th uh, committee on this podcast uh, because it's not actually news that impacts people's lives. Right. Uh, go right. figure. But but I do think in terms of, uh, again, the, the narratives that get driven out of Washington, D.C., this has been one of the major ones they've tried to drive forever. Um, you talk, you recently talked about this a little bit at, at a, an event with Salem Media and Hugh Hewitt mm -hmm. and Eric Metaxas. Can you talk just a little bit about, I, I think for most folks, because they weren't, they haven't actually watched these committee hearings, yeah. <laughs> what Liz Cheney and, and, and then Nancy Pelosi did with that committee right. 
that's so unprecedented. Well, I think it's interesting you, you, you raised that question the day after Biden get, just gave his address to the, to the country where he talked about, you know, violence and extremism and all this stuff, uh, which was, of course, two months after he did his initial one in front of Independence Hall where he looked like he looked, he looked crazy. <laughs> so um, one, one thing that, and I said this because I, I had to do a TV interview last night and I was listening to President Biden's remarks and had to respond to it. And I said, because it ticks me off, Republicans have condemned the violence. Conservatives have condemned the violence every single time it's happened. We condemned it on January 6th. We condemned it in the summer of 2020. And we condemned it when it happened last week to Paul Pelosi, which was as wrong as wrong can be. And right. we, have, we, we want nothing but him to get a speedy recovery and be safe. And th- that shouldn't happen to anyone. It'd be nice if the left would do the same because they don't. Yeah. The summer 2020, they were, they were making excuses for the riot, the looting, the attack on officers, the destruction of small businesses in every major urban area in this country. And they were making excuses for it and even raising money to bail the people out who attacked police officers to bail them out of jail. So I get sick of that concept. When it comes to January 6th, you know, the left is always, the left will say like, oh, we're, the, the conservatives are and Republicans are a threat to democracy. Really? Nancy Pelosi is an active proxy voting. She's closed the capital to the American people. We, the people, the taxpayers who pay for that building, pay for the, their, their, their capital. She's closed the capital. She's kicked Republicans off committee, won't let Republicans serve on a select committee. First time in American history. Mr. Banks and I were kicked, weren't allowed to serve on it. On it never happened. First time in history you have a, a, a committee where there's not the adversarial relation, uh, uh, relationship there where you can uh, actually have a cross-examination. Every other committee, had, you can have the ability to cross-examine, except January 6th committee. No, so all nine people on there are uh, voted to impeach President Trump. So, so much for the ability to cross-examine. So first time in history that's happened. Democrats are trying to end the filibuster, trying to pack the court. They've introduced legislation to do it, trying to get rid of the Electoral College, trying to let non-citizens vote, and have spent the last six years saying the 2016 election was rigged. But somehow it's Republicans who are a threat to democracy? Like, that's like literally the dumbest thing. What are you guys <laughs> talking about? Um, and they're already, they're already saying, oh, there's, there's, there's concerns happening right now about this election. They have, they have been the ones who have not accepted the outcome of an election uh, for six years, the things they said about President Trump. And they even, and this gets to the fundamental, the scariest thing I think going on right now is a political justice department. Because if you don't have equal treatment under the law, you no longer have America. And that is what we're seeing from the Justice Department. But they spied on President Trump's campaign in 2016, and they have not stopped going after that guy for six years now. You know, we, we have a, a lot of um, policy wonks, you know, that, that listen to the narrative. Um, but we also have a lot of just flat out meat and potatoes. I'm concerned about my community. I'm concerned yep. about my children. Um, we're inspired when we see you speak. And, and what would you say the average person can do, right? It's like, how do we face off with the media? How do we can't, you know, they don't have all the talk. Like what, 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 would, what would you say the average American could do to support your work? Well, uh, just on, on, to maybe combine a little bit of everything there, the, the one thing that I think is so critical is do not vote for anyone who's not for school choice. Okay. Amen. Do not, if, you, if we're fundamentally yeah, going to change, if we're fundamentally going to change That's right. things in, 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 a, in a positive way in this country, you have to allow kids to get the type of education that's really going to benefit them, benefit our country. And moms and dads know what that is. They sure do. So, so I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat. Don't vote for them unless they're for school choice. And I found in my time in, in, in public life that if, if someone is right on school choice, they're right on everything else. If, if they believe 
if they think I, I, I trust mom and dad more than the state, I'm willing to give empower moms and dads, then you know they're right because they, the, they get the fundamental fact that the family is the key institution. First institution the good Lord put together. Wasn't right. the church, wasn't That's the state, right. moms and dads and kids. First institution. Awesome. So they get that. They're going to be life on, they're, they're going to be right on the life issue. They're going to be right on taxes because you know what? If they understand families are important and moms and dads should decide where the kids go to school, they're not going to be for raising a bunch of taxes and taking money from moms and dads. They want them to keep the money to spend on their family and their goals and their dreams. So that is the best issue, and we are beginning to break through. And you guys, I know, are working on a good Backpack bill. 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 And, yeah. yeah. We got Matt Huffman in the Senate. We've got to get someone good in the House, yeah. and we're going to be great, cooking. I, I talked to two of the sponsors yesterday, uh, Marilyn Johns and and, uh, and Reardon McLean. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they're they're both great members, awesome. uh, as, yeah. uh, great great folks. So that that is that is how long. Term, and so parents, um, concerned citizens, get involved with your school board, push for school choice, anything that empowers parents. And, and we know the left's not there. I mean, a year ago, yeah, the left. Here's how, here's how dumb the Democrats are. The Democrats <laughs> ran a campaign in in Virginia. Terry McAuliffe, supposedly Bill Clinton, the Clinton's guy, already been governor, and then they got a term limit there, so been governor's trying to run, run again. Uh, supposedly this political genius. McAuliffe and the Democrats said, we think government is smarter than parents when it comes to a kid's education. Yeah. And a bunch of moms and dads said, no, you're not. Yeah. We actually know our kid's name, right? Imagine that. <laughs> right, yeah. We, we, we think we can probably make a better decision than you guys can. So, I mean, they ran a campaign, and Glenn Youngkin is now governor because of that issue. And it's... It, that is making a big difference, and we have to understand that and promote choice all across the, all across the country. I, I want to talk about uh, one thing in particular. That I, I was just at, at, actually at lunch with someone, and we were talking about what can be done in the Congress next year. Um, but you know, when a member goes and they're one of four, 435, mm-hmm. it, it's hard for that one individual congressman alone to, to really be pushing in, in the right direction. Um, you know. You and you know former Congressman Meadows started something, uh, you know, a few years back uh, that has now become sort of a, a force, and it, it's quite frankly one of the things. Especially, I know we're we're in general election season right now. We need as many good guys to win as possible. But in primary season, it's become sort of the the big thing we say is like, hey, look, if there's somebody that's going to commit to be in the Freedom Caucus, yeah. that's who you that's who you back because that's that's how your one member becomes a whole lot more than just mm-hmm. one of four thirty five. Uh, in terms of driving the conservative agenda. Can you maybe take us back to, uh, you know, why you founded the Freedom Caucus, what it's doing today, and the impact that that has had over the last few years? Yeah, I mean, we we founded it because uh, in our mission statement, we talk about the countless number of American people, American families who feel like Washington's forgotten them. And our job, Freedom Caucus, our job should be as members is to remember them and go fight for them. And um, I I say this all the time. I actually wrote a book with the title. Uh, I think we make the job way too complicated. What did you tell the people you were going to do when you put your name yes. on the ballot and ran for the job? If they elect you, go do what you said. And so the Freedom Caucus is, is focused on trying to do what we said uh, and, and get accomplished those policies that we said. We also initially, and we still focus on this some, we want there to be a process where every member gets heard. You know, there, in the history of our great country, only about 12,000 people have ever had the privilege of serving in the Congress. I mean, it's since. Since they started this thing way back in 17, when, 1780, when we did the concept, 1819, I can't, can't remember the year, yeah. but from 1776, when, when the experiment started with the Declaration of Independence all the way to now, only about 12,000 people. So um, it's, it's a privilege, and you should take it as a privilege, but those members who get a chance to, those individuals who get a chance to be there in Congress, they actually want to go advocate for what 
their voters back in their district want them to fight for. So that's what we try to do. Um, and uh, we try to work smart. You can't fight everything. You try to pick your pick the fights in a smart way. I've been in legislative bodies now for for several years, and there's a there's some tactical decisions you got to make. But that's what we try to do. Yeah, what's been some of the things that I mean, especially I think about some of the budget votes and things like that you guys have been able to do. But what's for f- folks that are like they've heard of the Freedom Caucus? What are examples of you guys being able to force the issues, especially with you know some of our former speakers that yeah. were Republicans that may not have been as conservative? Well, uh, I'll give you one. I tell the story in the book, but uh, the uh, we we had um, this is probably twenty. So we had um, two immigration bills. One was one immigration bill that we conservatives supported. Uh, immigration reform was consistent with the message of the twenty sixteen election. I mean, President Trump. One of the key issues he ran on was build the wall, yeah. secure our border, and we had a bill that was a good bill and had broad support amongst in in, in our Republican conference. This is when we were in the majority. And uh, Paul Ryan wouldn't bring it up. There was another bill they wanted. And we said, well, that bill doesn't, that bill's not consistent with what the voters told us to do when they elected President Trump and gave us the majority. Um, why don't we do this bill? And he, no, 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 we can't do that bill. Finally, we said, look, uh, why don't you bring up both of them? No, 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 we can't do that. And we said, okay. We, we, we worked and worked. I mean, this is literally weeks and weeks and weeks of trying to get those bills brought up. And um, finally, we said, why don't you bring up both of them? He said, no. I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to vote against the farm bill which we don't like to do. I mean, we're from ag districts, farm bill. And there was actually some, some decent reform in the farm bill and on work requirements for welfare recipients, you know, this food stamp program. Um, and because that small, but, but, you know, somewhat significant work requirement was in the bill, the Democrats weren't going to vote for it. So they needed all Republicans in the house to pass the farm bill. And I remember Mark and I told uh, Speaker Ryan, we're, we're not, we're not going to, we're going to oppose the farm bill. He's like, you're going to vote against the farm bill. He kind of looked at us like, you know, no way rural, conservative Republicans are going to vote against agriculture and the farm bill and, you know, something the Farm Bureau is for and yada. I said, well, we don't want to vote against it, but we will if you don't bring up the... Sure enough, they brought the farm bill to the floor and it lost. I can remember the chairman of the committee looking at Meadows. <laughs> he had a few nice words from Mark. <laughs> uh, and we said, we told you. Like, we, like, we, we were honest with you. We're, like, yeah. we're going to be straight up with you guys. And, and so the farm bill loses. And like, wow. You know, it has never really happened. And so we said, bring up the immigration bill. And so they brought up them both. The bill they wanted got 123 votes. Paul Ryan had to vote. Normally the speaker doesn't vote, but Paul Ryan had to vote. So it get 123, I think was the number. One over, a, so just 50% plus one of, of Republicans. So most of the, it was split. He might have not even got a majority of Republicans on their bill. Our bill came up, got 193 votes. Just, oh. just a few votes short of what we needed. We need like 212, I think, to pass because we, we, the, the, there were some members not there. And, and um, I mean, the majority is 218, but we needed something less than that. And they didn't even whip it. And we're like, if you guys would have whipped the bill, we, we'd have a chance. And um, long story short, uh, we told them if they would bring up both bills, we'd, we'd help them on the farm bill. Yeah. A week later, we kept our word and passed the farm bill. But it, it was unfortunate because we could have got a good immigration bill through the House, and then you get more pressure on the Senate, and it's how it all works. Um, but this is one example that was... Yeah. yeah, it just jumped into, into my yeah. mind. There are other other fights we had, and yeah. and uh, uh, <laughs> a number of other fights we had. Yeah, Congressman, I love when you say, you know, just just go and do what you said you're going to do. You know, I, one of the greatest joys of my life is working with young people, especially building up youth leadership. You know, yeah. teach them all this scripture, teach them all this good, and, and and all these virtues. But at the end of the day, the number one virtue is courage. Right? None of this stuff that we've been learning matters if you don't have the courage to stand up when when you need to the most. Mm-hmm. 
We've been praying for a red wave in Ohio. We got one. Yeah. Right. And we don't know what's going to happen in November, but we know what happened, you know, a couple of years ago. And um, we've got a red wave. And there's so many bills that have been stalled yeah. because folks are not doing what they said they were going to do. Yeah. And, and folks in districts are frustrated. We just got done preaching. I think I preached in a dozen, dozen churches in the last uh, month, month and a half. And folks are like, why are these things not being done? And yeah. so what you know, how can we how can we bolster courage for folks? They get down to the state house. You got all those corporate lobbyists and all of a sudden it's a different game than when they were in their yeah. districts. Um, I always say courage is contagious, so it, it doesn't take. It's nice if you got a, if you got a group, but a lot of times it takes one or two, yeah. and then people will follow. But it takes that 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 initial one or two, and um, I, I've just found that if you're willing to do it, it's amazing how you can you can bring people in on on the effort. Um, you know, just just that's just history, uh, and it's it's American history. It's yeah. you know, I I was. Um, uh, David McCullough passed away a few months ago. He's written a number of books uh, on historical interesting things, the Johnstown Flood, the Wright Brothers, 1776. He wrote John Adams, Pioneers about the Settlement of Ohio. And it was always a few people who just decided they were going to do it, they, whatever the task was. I mean, the Wright Brothers, think about it. They, they were competing. It's, it's actually my favorite. I've read like, I think, five of McCullough's books. But they just decided they were going to be the first to do it. Like, we're going we're gonna to motorize flight, take off fly, land, we're going to be the first to do it. And they didn't take a penny from the government. And all their competition in Europe, they're getting all kinds of subsidies and all this government. Not the right brothers. They just did the old-fashioned way. Just hard work. And American stick-to-itiveness and trial and error. And I always say, in that business, trial and error is pretty significant, yeah, I, right? Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, uh, Orville wrecked and, and had, he was like, <laughs> it laid up for a year. Um, but they got it done. So a spoiler it, it, yeah. there for people there, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I'm pointing the yeah. book, yeah. <laughs> the um, so it's in in 1776. Like things go well in Boston initially, and then it's then it's terrible. The whole rest of the year is terrible for the army, and Washington just decides, you know what, Christmas Eve, we got to do something. Yeah. We got to do something. Like and across the Delaware he goes, and and it it changes the mindset. It, it is one guy doing one thing sometimes changes changes history. So. Um, that's what you got to remember. And it's, it's, and it's always, it's never as bad after the fact at the time. It's like, ah, oh, I'm so nervous. And, you know, so, um, but it's just human nature. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we, Americans will, will rise to the occasion. And you're going to have some people at the state house do the same thing. Yeah. And that's, I will say, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. In, in my office, I have the, 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 the cover for the pioneers in, in my, ah, one, of my cool. one of my favorite books. It's yeah. 1776. I'm reading the, the Roosevelt one right yeah. now, actually. Uh, I'll put Wright Brothers up next. Um, but Congressman, just a, a few minutes left here with you. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, you know, it, it looks like uh, that uh, there is going to be a big wave in this election. looks like, uh, you know, it could be from anywhere from 30 to over 50 uh, new seats coming in the, the U.S. House. You know, it could be three, four, could be up to five. I'm hearing from folks that the Oregon Senate or the, was it the Washington Senate seats up, up for play right now. Um, you know. In a let, let's let's just suppose right when this this episode is going to come out Friday, the election is going to be in uh, you know four days after that. Um, you know let's let's suppose that it goes well and we have conservatives take over the mm-hmm. House and Senate. Uh, what can actually be done in two years under a Biden administration? What's that agenda look like? Yeah, it's, it's, it'll be tough to pass actual bills uh, that are that are significant and, and and move things in the right direction because Joe Biden. Like I said, even if he wanted to sign it, even if he, you know, saw the light and wanted to sign bills and do something that would be positive for the country on energy or on the border or on inflation, I just don't think the left will let him. 
and I don't know that Biden would even even want to on his own uh, account, but um, we should still pass good legislation. Like the first bill we're going to pass is to get rid of the 87,000 IRS agents, take the money from the IRS and Treasury and, and, and do that. Uh, can they get through the Senate? I don't know. Uh, if It's one of the reasons I hope we win the Senate because something like that could probably get, there's probably a way to finagle that in a reconciliation package. And then you at least get it on Biden's desk and you force him to veto it. Um, so I want to get as many things to his desk as we can. And, and I, but there are some points in the, in the, in the, the Congress where, you know, inflection points, I guess you would say, where you have a chance to get something, to make, make some kind of trade. Uh, the debt ceiling comes up in the, in the spring of next year. Um, the FISA reauthorization, I think we should get rid of FISA. Just like, a lot of what we've seen the FBI do and what the inspector generals told us, just get rid of it. Uh, the farm bill, we can have some leverage there. And then, of course, the appropriation process. Yeah. So we should use those in a smart way. Now, on an appropriation bill, you can't do, you can't try to get 10 things. You got to pick one or two really important things. And, and I've thought for a long time it's probably immigration, but it could be, it could be energy. It could be something you fight for on, on, on one or a couple of the appropriation bills um, and, and see if you can, you can do something there. The other thing we got to do is the oversight, the investigations, because we now, as I've said now a few times, uh, we know what the Justice Department is up to, how political they are, how they weaponize the government. Um, Maybe I said this earlier, but, you know, in, in two months' time now, think about it. They've raided the home of a former president, taken the phone of a sitting member of Congress, kicked in the door of a pro-life leader yeah. outside of Philadelphia and arrested him in front of his wife and seven kids for something the local judge says wasn't a crime. So um, uh, that's important, too, and we're going we're gonna to stay focused on all that. Yeah, and, you know, I think that is one thing that a lot of folks don't recognize that you guys are able to do there. Just briefly, can you share what's the importance of you know, having things like the gavel of the Judiciary Committee or having, or you know, uh, especially b- both in the House in terms of investigations, but even in the Senate in terms of confirmation. You can see, you, you set the tone of the hearing. You know, yeah. you, you, can, you, you decide what the subject matter is. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you set the hearing, you get three witnesses, they get one. So we could have you guys come in. Yeah. You know, the, we have you guys come in and, and they got some, some, someone on the, the left. You know, that, 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 we can set that, that, kind of, that kind of hearing. Where they can't, and then of course the big the big thing as well is you you can subpoena people. Yeah. So people who refuse to testify now, uh, you can compel them to, to come in and testify, which is something that you know we'll use if we have to. Yeah, I think there's some interesting things on COVID school closures and things like that uh, that that a lot of no folks would be, uh, be be really interested in and on the the data that uh, allowed for so many kids to fall behind academically. But uh, that's for a discussion another time. Congressman <laughs> Jordan, thank you for uh, being gracious with Man, your time. Thank you for all you're doing. No, yeah. we're praying for you. Thank you. Uh, and, and grateful for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, thanks everyone for listening to this episode of The Narrative. Thank you to our friend Vince Tornero, our uh, producer from Western Media. Uh, again, uh, if you enjoy our podcast, be sure to leave a review, share it with folks. Uh, give us uh, that, that good five-star rating on Apple and Spotify and Google Play, wherever you get it. Helps us reach more folks. Uh, we'll be back here next time. Don't forget, vote November 8th. Right. Uh, polls open uh, at uh, 7 o'clock, and they close at 7.30 uh, in Ohio. Uh, so make sure you get there uh, and get in line and go vote. Uh, and take somebody uh, with you. Take yeah, someone. Go to BuckeyeBallot.com. Get your voter guide. Uh, find out where the candidates stand on your ballot. Uh, and uh, we'll catch you here next time on The Narrative.